Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. I need to explain who these wise men were. You go back all the way to the book of Daniel to discover the beginning of this group of wise men. When Nebuchadnezzar came in and captured the country of Judah, he took the best and the brightest of the young men and put them in a group with the others that he'd captured to educate them and form a group of counselors that would be in existence all the way till the time of Christ. Even when Persia conquered uh, 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 Babylonia, uh, you still had this group as held up in high honor as great wise people. Well, Daniel was one of those, uh, along with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because he rose to the top to be the leader of this group of wise men, I'm certain that he put in their library the law of God, that he left writings like his that were prophetic. So the people that were studying in this group called the wise men had to know of the God that's there in Israel and of the predicted king that would come one day. So their hearts were alerted when they saw this star and they were willing to make this trip. Let's look at the next verse. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. There's something you need to know about Herod. He was one of the most bloodthirsty kings that's ever ruled. Let me just talk to you about what he did to his family. He married 10 times, and of those 10 wives, he killed two of them. Maybe that was cheaper than the divorces. I don't know, but he, but he, he killed two of the 10 wives that he married. Of his six sons, he killed three of them when he became paranoid, convinced that they were trying to take his kingdom. It was said in Rome by those who knew of this Jewish king in Israel, it's safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons because he killed half his sons. So he lived in constant fear that somebody was going to take his throne. But with that in mind, think about this now. Here you've got a group of Persians who've come, wise men, who said, where's the new king? Now, you know that wouldn't bless him. But with somebody who is ruthless and so paranoid as, as King Herod, the reason why it says, and all Jerusalem with him were disturbed, is they knew that people are going to die. Blood is going to be shed because of this. Well, let's read on. Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Sounds like a politician, doesn't it? Lying through his teeth. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they'd seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house. They saw the child with his mother and falling to their knees. They worshiped him and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Bethlehem, according to William F. Albright, who's the greatest archaeologist who's ever lived, Christian archaeologist, had about 300 residents when Jesus was born. When we sang, O little town of Bethlehem, that was a very accurate song. It was just a little town there about six miles from Jerusalem. 
Now today, it's a much larger population. In fact, here's a picture of modern-day Bethlehem. It actually has a population in its city limits of 28,000 people. Now, around the world, they don't spread out like we do in America. They're all close together. So you can see here as the, as the residents are right there living uh, on top of one another. It's a unique city in that it's six miles from Jerusalem, but it's not in the, technically in the country of Israel. It's technically, and I know you've heard this term because of the Gaza War, it's in the West Bank. You have parts of the Arab population that are not technically a part of Israel. This particular area is a little bit different because there were a few parts of the West Bank that a few years back, the Israelis decided just to cede it completely to Arab control. Now, anytime you go on a tour trip to Israel, you find people on the corners with Uzis guarding, keeping the peace. When you go into Bethlehem or Jericho or Ramallah, you'll find that the people with Uzis are the Palestinians. Jews are not even allowed to enter Bethlehem today because that's a Palestinian place. Now, this has, the next picture has nothing to do with spirituality, but it's one of my favorites. There, as you come, walk toward the Church of the Holy Nativity, there's a Stars and Bucks Cafe. Everybody loves that when you go over there. Now, because they're not technically a nation, there's no copyright laws, because I guarantee you Starbucks wouldn't stand for that here. They would have sent lawyers to get that taken down. But there it is, and our folks always love that. Well, in uh, 2019, I took 25 ladies from our church on a ladies-only trip. There was secretaries and those who served in different ministries. Karen was my co-host. We decided to go there because the ladies wanted a coffee mug. And here's one of them right now, and she's holding up her stars and bucks mug with Bethlehem written on the side. I bought one myself. It's my favorite Holy Land souvenir. So... <laughs> Well, one of the things about Bethlehem that I'm sure you know, it's been linked to the birth of Christ ever since Christ was born. Today, tourists love to go there during the entire year. There's something emotional about going to Bethlehem where Jesus is born. There was a church in the 300s built over where he was born. You can go in there and you can see where, where Mary had her child. But folks, something sad has gone on since this war has broken out. The churches in Gaza, following the leadership of the ones in charge in Jerusalem, have decided not to even have Christmas services this year. Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem. Now, you've got to understand that this is so much a part of their economy. Tourists would go there, spend their money. Uh, they, they loved us, welcomed us because of that. They've had huge celebrations every year. Here's a picture of one of their celebrations. In the background is the church built over where Jesus was born. That front section there is called Manger Square. This is where you go in to enter the church through the door of humility. It's a lowered door. But they have loads of celebrations. On Christmas Eve, they normally have a parade with bagpipers, Christmas trees, a few years back, they actually put permanent decorations up that are there year-round. So even if you go in July, you can see the stars on the, on the poles, just like we have downtown right now in Hendersonville. It, it was permanently decorated, but because of the Gaza War, they went to the extraordinary means of taking down every Christmas decoration out of Bethlehem. 
There'll be no services. There are no decorations. In essence, if you go to Bethlehem this Christmas, there is no evidence that Christ was born there. They have taken Christmas out of Bethlehem. It breaks my heart, doesn't it, yours? But can we talk? I think there's a danger that here in America that we're in the danger of taking Christ out of Christmas. And let me give you a few indications. I checked with the Billboard Top 20 ending on December 2nd. That's when I began working on this sermon. Billboard is that standard that's always been held up of the top songs of a week. And because you were already well into the Christmas playlist season, they listed the top requested songs ending in Friday, December 2nd. The number one song was All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. And then Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. My wife knows how I hate that song. And every time we go in a store, in my honor, they are playing Peggy Lee singing Rock Around the Christmas Tree. I'm telling you, it's driving me crazy. And so, so you've got Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Number three is Jingle Bell Rock. Number four, Last Christmas by Wham. A holly jolly Christmas, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Let it snow, let it snow. Feliz Navidad, uh, one I didn't know underneath the tree. It's something more recent. And then the Christmas song rounds off the top ten, chestnuts, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. You have to go to number 44 to find a true Christmas carol that's about Jesus. Number 44 on the billboard list was, O Come All Ye Faithful. So I checked iTunes. You'd be a lot of people now have used iTunes and they down, they listen and stream songs off of their big catalog. And so I checked that week for iTunes and found out what were their top 10. I'm not going to list them, but let me just say this. You have to go to number 26. The top 25 were secular songs like rocking around the Christmas tree, but you have to go to number 26 before they have Mary. Did you know the first Christian song? So can we just not conclude that we're spending more time talking about Santa than Jesus? That we're doing more rocking around the Christmas tree than silent night, holy night in our time? I think we're in danger of losing Jesus at Christmas. So with that said, based upon the verses that I've read to you today, let me give you four ways that we can make sure we put Jesus in Christmas. Four ways we can put Jesus in Christmas. Number one, make an extra effort to be with Jesus. Make an effort, extra effort to be with Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, from Persia, that's modern day Iran, arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Did you know that these men walked over a thousand miles to come and find Jesus? Wouldn't you say that's an extra effort to walk a thousand miles to come and see the new king and worship him? Folks, one of the things that we've got to do if we're going to make this a Christ-filled Christmas is that we're going to have to make moves toward God during this. In James 4.8, this verse that we need to take to heart, this is what we're told, you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. That God says, I want you to make the first move, then I'll draw near to you. And so if we're not consciously making the effort to draw near to God, we're going to miss his presence. 
In fact, there's no being in neutral in the Christian life. In Hebrews chapter two, verse one, it says, we've got to pay more attention to what we've heard lest we drift away. If you're not intentionally drawing near to God, you're drifting farther away from God. That's just the two choices. So one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to intentionally draw near to God. Make an extra effort this Christmas to make it a Christ-filled Christmas. I'd encourage you, I know a lot of you will be off work and, and you're sitting here saying, wow, I can't wait to sleep. Well, get a little extra sleep, but set your alarm a little early anyway. Because when you get up and you open your Bible and say, Jesus, you are first place in my life and I'll show it. I got up early to meet you and to read your word. That's a way of making it a Christ-filled Christmas. Karen and I hosted Brick and Linda Cox for lunch last week. And they shared with us something they're doing this Christmas. They try to find some project for the month of December. And they decided since Luke has 24 days, and they would read the Gospel of Luke out loud together, one chapter a day for the, for the entire month of December. What they didn't realize is that Luke 1 has over 60 verses in it itself. So that's a lot of reading every day. You may not know this, but Luke is the longest book of the New Testament, even though there are others with more chapters. I love that. They're doing something extra to make sure Christ is in Christmas. Second thing that you can do to put Christ in Christmas is this. Go to the Bible to learn about Jesus. Go to the Bible to learn about Jesus. Let me show you something extraordinary here. So Herod assembled all the chief priests. Where is he, this born king of Jews? He said, bring my Bible scholars in. He asked them where the Messiah would be born. Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, they said, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. He called the Bible scholars in and said, where does the Old Testament say? Where's the prophet say the Messiah would be born? And they immediately, by heart, they didn't have to look it up. They knew it by heart, quoted Micah chapter 5. Verse two, let me tell you something that's extraordinary there. Micah 5.2 was written 700 years before Christ was born. Think with me what 700 years, this is 2023. You go back to 1323 to get 700 years. Can you imagine if there were a prophet who prophesied about something in America before Christopher Columbus got here? That's what we're talking about. And so here is Matthew and he's recording the fact that the Bible scholars knew chapter and verse about where Christ was to be born. But let me tell you something that's unique about Matthew. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you will find him on a consistent basis going, here's what I saw Jesus do with my own eyes. He was one of the 12. And then he said, this fulfills, and he quotes an Old Testament passage. He had watched the life of Jesus with his own eyes. But after Jesus was risen, he got his scrolls down. And he found Micah 5 too. He said, well, there it is. He was born in Bethlehem, just as we were told that the angels came to the shepherds. The wise men came there. But you'll also find in other places, in chapter one, the angel comes to Joseph, who's about to run, go away, and says, no, don't do that, Joseph, because this is a miracle happening. This child is born by the Holy Spirit because, and then he says, he, then the angel quotes, this fulfills Isaiah 7:14 a virgin will conceive and will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel which is God with us. Can you imagine Matthew sitting here saying, "Wait a minute, I got to get this right." Opens up the scroll of Isaiah 
And he finds the fact that Mary is going to be a virgin who gives birth to a son, and that son will be God with us. Later on, you'll find Herod sending the troops in to kill every baby. In paranoid rage, kills every baby two years old and under. And and the angel comes that night and says, don't you wait for daylight. Get out now. Leave this town. And they left, but babies were killed. And then when Matthew's recording this fact that babies were killed by Herod, he opens up the scroll of Jeremiah and he says, this fulfills this prophecy. They'll be weeping there over their slain children. And he went to the Old Testament and he found it. And then when they go to Egypt and are able to come back to Nazareth afterwards, he says, this fulfills out of Egypt. I will call my son. And he found that verse in Hosea. Now you got to understand, he didn't have a Bible to carry around like this. He has to go get scrolls of each book, roll them out, find them, study them. Can you see how much Bible study Matthew did just to prepare for us this gospel that not only tells us what Jesus did, but how it connects with the Old Testament? That is incredible Bible study. I want to encourage you during this holy season to stay in the Word. It ought to be a part of every season to stay in the Word. My wife grew up in a good Christian home. They, came, they went to church every Sunday, but she shared with me something that is a regret for her. They would basically pick their Bibles up, go to church, put their Bibles back on the shelf. And she said, I never once saw my mom or dad read the Bible in front of us. Now, they may have done that, but she as someone raised in that house, never saw her parents read the Bible. I guarantee you this. Our kids watch mom and daddy read the Bible all the time when we raise them. But not only that, one of the great joys we have. Now, let me tell you about Karen's. This is the, not only the best person I know, the best Christian I know. And so what she does is I wake, I wake her up at around six if she hadn't gotten up. Sometimes it's earlier than that because she just gets up. When I hear her stirring, I go get her coffee. There's a tip, guys. <laughs> just want to give you that one for free. <laughs> But I make her coffee and, and I go to, and she gets her Bible out. And Karen will stay there for a lengthy period of time in the Word. Now we have the privilege of having our grandchildren come to, and they know Nana. If you go to Nana's room, she's there with the Bible. And you know what they do? They come to her and say, Nana, tomorrow morning when I wake up, can I read the Bible with you? And I'll look in and see my little grandkids snuggled up to their Nana reading the Bible. So if you want this to be a Christ-filled Christmas, study your Bible. Number three, bow before Jesus. In order for this to be a Christ-filled Christmas, bow before Jesus. Look at this. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Remember, these are the advisors to one of the two great empires of that day and time. Now, we always talk of the Roman Empire because Western civilization traces to Roman Empire. But can I tell you something? There was an empire that was just as large and just as strong to the east of the Roman Empire. That was the Persian Empire. And they belonged to the court of the king of Persia. And I imagine they went into his presence many a time. And every time that they went into the presence of the king of Persia, they got on their knees and they bowed to him. That was acknowledging, I'm in the presence of a king. You have control over my life because you are my king. And now they come to a little town of Bethlehem and see a baby. And they do what they would do if they were in the presence of the king of Persia. They fall on their knees and they worship him. 
you're my king. Christmas and the Lordship of Christ are connected in my own personal experience. My life was changed when I went to a, quote, Christmas retreat the day after Christmas, 1969. Uh, we went to Rock Eagle, Georgia, where Campus Crusade was having its high school retreat. That Monday night, or whatever night it was, on December 26th, there was a, an incredible message on the love of God that broke down my last resistance. I knew I no longer could or should run from my God. And then Tuesday morning, when I was walking under a tree, I got alone by myself with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm tired of fighting against you. You've got me. I surrender. You're Lord of my life. And that changed my life. Bowing before Jesus as Lord changed my life. I heard someone say when I started out in the ministry that most Baptists have enough religion to bug them, not bless them. <laughs> I think that's true. And I want to tell you something that's ironic. When you finally come to the point and you say, I give up, you've got me. That's when you win. That's when life gets good. When you make him Lord. And that's the example that these wise men who are used to being in the presence of a king, that's the example that they set to us. And I would encourage you, if you're going to make this a Christ-filled Christmas, you bow before Jesus as your king. And then lastly, Give gifts to Jesus. Give gifts to Jesus. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what we know from the Gospel of Luke is that Joseph and Mary were very poor. Jesus was their firstborn son. The law required that when you had your first son, you had to go into the temple and offer a costly sacrifice of a young bull to say, Lord, this is my way of acknowledging that this child belongs to you. But there was an exception. If you were poor, you could offer two pigeons. You know what Mary and Joseph were allowed to offer for their son? Two pigeons. That shows you how poor they were. They had no money. All of a sudden, the angel will come after the wise men leave and say, get out now. Don't wait for the sun to rise. And they took off and went to the only place that was far enough to be safe from Herod's reach, which was just below them south. They went to Egypt. How in the world could a poor couple, that poor, afford to go and live in another land and run and make a, uh, buy their meals and take care of their travel. I'll tell you how, because these wise men came and they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the very gifts they were given were used to help them get to safety. What a practical gift. It was a beautiful spiritual gift, but what a practical gift. I don't know if you know this, but our tradition of giving each other, and especially giving our children gifts at Christmas, comes from the fact that here at Christmas, these wise men brought their gifts to give to Jesus. One of our daughters, I wish we'd have thought of this. She gives each one of her five children three gifts, and only three gifts, because the wise men only gave three gifts. My soul, I wish I'd have thought that. <laughs> Do you realize how much money that would have saved us over all those years of raising them? <laughs> but that's where we get this tradition of giving gifts at Christmas. We've already encouraged you as we talk about the very important Lottie Moon Christmas offering that supports International Mission Ways, Missions Service. One of the best ways you can give to Jesus 
is to give a special gift to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Now I want to close with one thought because we've talked about how sad it is. Because here's the, here's the trajectory of what's happening in Bethlehem. In 1950, 84% of the residents of Bethlehem were, were Arab Christians. 84% 1950. The first time I went there in the year 2000, some of y'all went with me, 70% of Bethlehem's population were Arab Christians. Today, 12% of Bethlehem's population are Arab Christians, especially since it's been turned over to the complete control of the Palestinians. Now the Muslims dominate, and because of that, it's hard to be a Christian, and many are getting out as fast as they can get out, and that breaks my heart. But can I tell you something? God is still working. We have Hamas on our minds because of the evil attack that they did on October 7th against innocent people in Israel. The son of the founder of Hamas, Mossab Youssef, was himself a terrorist that worked in the organization of his father. He was arrested by the Israelis, put in a prison in Megiddo in Israel that housed the Arabs that they had captured. They put them all in one prison there in Megiddo. Inside that prison, you know, there's not a lot guards can do when you're inside. Hamas took over. And this son of the founder of Hamas was shocked by how cruel the Hamas terrorists that were prisoners there were to the other Muslims. He said, I am haunted by what I saw with my own eyes of how they tortured fellow Muslims. That rattled him. In 2019, in the West Bank, he began to have discussions with a Christian missionary there and began to learn about Jesus. He also decided, I better learn about Islam. He'd only heard what was told in the mosque and he found out some things that, that disappointed him about Muhammad. He found out that Muhammad ordered his troops to slaughter just as Hamas had done and was very bloodthirsty. He also found out that Hamas had married 50 wives. He said, I didn't hear about that in the mosque. I had to study that on my own. And none of that made him someone that was worthy of his respect. But then he began to look at Jesus with the discussions of the missionaries. And he gave his heart to Christ secretly and privately. In 2005, he was baptized by a Christian tourist. Because folks, do you realize how dangerous it would be if you were someone living in the West Bank and you had baptized the son of the founder of Hamas? So he found a Christian tourist who would baptize him. God saved the son of Hamas founder. Does that tell you what God can do? We need to be praying that God would save people there, that God would save people here this Christmas. Would you pray with me about that now? Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would stir us to love you, to make this Christmas yours. Oh, Jesus, I want to sing Silent Night, not rocking around the Christmas tree. We want to honor you. I pray you'll bless what we do next weekend on Christmas Eve. In Jesus' name, amen.